0: Exodus 25, verse 3, And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goats' hair and ram's skins dyed red and badger's skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary This is a powerful statement right here. That I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Let's pray. Father, we've enjoyed our time together already singing about You, rejoicing in Your finished work, Lord Jesus, on the cross. And we thank you, God, for all all that is ours in Christ. But we are reminded today that there is a world out there that doesn't know about the Lord Jesus, that has none of the spiritual resources that we take for granted in this world. And I pray, God, that you'd stir this church to continue in what they're doing for world missions, to expand what they're doing for world missions. I pray, God, that you'd help us to see this morning the bigness of what we're part of and that we would claim our part in that work each and every believer here this morning. We thank You, Father, for giving us something to do for You, and I pray that You would remind us of the nature of this work today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. (coughs) Many of you are aware that the book of Exodus is a book of redemption, and there are all kinds of wonderful pictures If you have a New Testament perspective, when you come to read the book of Exodus that materialized in relation to God's big plan of redemption, because Jesus Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That is imagery taken out of Exodus chapter 12. So when you look at the big picture of the book of Exodus, you see a people that is in bondage. In Egypt, which is a picture of the world under a cruel taskmaster, Pharaoh, who is a picture of the devil and Israel in bondage in Egypt is a picture of the natural man. And God is going to raise up a deliverer who is supernaturally preserved in his infancy, who is rejected at his first manifestation to the people that he comes to deliver, who is sent to those people and through signs and miracles prepares those people to leave Egypt and brings them out by blood and by power and brings them into the wilderness there to the foot of Sinai. And so in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, you have this beautiful picture of redemption. As God tells his people, when I see the blood of I will pass over you. It is not any of their qualifications, not any of their own righteousness. It is the blood of a sinless lamb that causes the wrath of God to pass over their dwelling places and he brings them out in power passing through the Red Sea on dry ground which is said to be a baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and all of it is a picture of our redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. But that redemption story Story. While it is pictured in the entirety of the book of Exodus, the, the Exodus story that, that, that so closely figures our redemption only takes up the first 19 of these 40 chapters that constitute the book of Exodus. So there's something bigger here than just their exodus from Egypt. We might say that there is something more than just your conversion out of sin. It is not just you being delivered from this present evil world so that you might someday land yourself in heaven where there's no more trials and troubles in this life. See, God brings his people to the foot of Sinai so that he might give them some subsequent instruction in righteousness. Now, I recognize that there are fundamental differences between the law of Moses in that Old Testament and the law of Christ as presented in the New Testament but when you're brought out from under sin and bondage, when you're introduced to the blood of the Lamb when you're delivered by God's power you need some instruction in righteousness too. You need to find out that God's got some expectations for your life now that you're redeemed people. It is important for us to recognize that while he brought them out of Egyptian bondage to take them in to the land of Canaan which, which introduces us to an entirely different set of types and pictures which we'll not entertain today. God's purpose was not just deliverance. Even the very introduction of that liberation message given to Pharaoh, let my people go. They were to be let go so they might go into the wilderness so they might offer sacrifice, so they might partake of a feast. The very observance of Passover was not only the slaying of a lamb without blemish, but the feasting at a table in, in fellowship with the one that redeemed them. See, God brought you out to present to, to reconcile you to God, to make possible our fellowship with our creator. Amen. There are a lot of Baptists that got a little bitty gospel. Their book of Romans stops at Romans 3 or 4 or 5. There's 16 chapters in that book. The one that justifies you, wants to sanctify you, someday is going to glorify you. And between now and then, he's giving you something to do for him. And in the last 16 chapters of this book of Exodus, it's very curious, there is a very detailed plan disclosed to the children of Israel for this this portable, this mobile, very intricate, ornate tent that's going to be pitched in the wilderness. Now when you think about the Bible, it's a big book. probably takes you a while to read it year by year. It's even a library, you could say. It's not just one book, 66 books, one author. And yet, when you think of everything that God knows and what He decided to reveal to you, that's a book that could be bigger. (laughs) And the things which God felt like we needed to know is pretty shocking sometimes. I mean, you've got 16 chapters here. Much of it is made up of... Some detailed instructions of purple and fine linen and gold and silver to put together a tent. Why would God allocate that much? Textual real estate in a book that would be his word why would he tell us all of these things and I think it has to do with the fact of what is read for us in verse 8 that I let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them God wants to tabernacle with his people this has always been his program purpose and plan he created a man and a woman and put them in a garden paradise which served as a temple or rather the absence of the temple What there is because man and God are dwelling together in fellowship. But then sin entered and God's got to resort to a different kind of program. So he erects a tabernacle here and later a temple. And then he's going to send his son, the word made flesh to tabernacle with us. And someday there's going to be a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven to this earth. Where there's going to be no temple therein because the Lord God and the lamb dwell there. And we're going to be in fellowship with God for all of eternity. That's the program. God wants to dwell with humanity. And the program in our age has to do with the the construction of a spiritual house, if you would, which is the church. Now let me digress for just a moment virtually everything that you find in this tabernacle points to fellowship with God. When you enter that tabernacle, when you enter that tabernacle, the first thing you're confronted with is that brazen altar, which is ever on fire, which was lit by the fire of God, as a matter of fact, and and there is perpetually some sacrifice upon that altar, and it is a reminder that God requires a payment for man's sin. But praise the Lord, it's not the offerer that's laying on the altar. It is a sacrifice that's being offered in the place of the offer. We ought to give thanks today that we don't have to suffer for our own sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ made our atonement and suffered in our stead. Hallelujah. But we're drawn further because the presence of God is in the most holy place and the next thing you come to is this great brazen laver, this brass washpot with spigots around the bottom only the priests need access to this in the course of their work and, and while they were cleansed fully when they entered into the into the ministry of the priesthood they still get their hands dirty as they handle those sacrifices and they get their feet dirty as they walk on that dirt floor so they need to come to that wash pot and wash themselves by the way That The interior of that thing was made with the looking glasses of the women that gathered at the door of the tabernacle so that when you looked over into that brazen laver, you got a reflection of yourself just like that word right there is like a mirror that we look in. And we need to be washed in the water of the word of God because you get dirty in this world as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go further into the sanctuary proper and to your right hand when you enter is a table. And it's a table of showbread, and it's made of gold and wood. You have the divine united to the human, and it's a picture of the Word of God. Twelve loaves, six on six, like your 66 books of the Bible, twelve being the number of Israel because the oracles of God were committed to Israel. And and that is the only thing that sustains the priests as they do their labor in the context of that sanctuary. And they come in there, and by the way, it never corrupts. (laughs) It's fresh bread. It's baked weekly. And yet it never corrupts. And it's right there. And it sustains them in their labor. And the only light that they have to partake of that picture of the Word of God is the golden lamb stand over here. Solid gold picturing the Holy Ghost which lights up their service inside of that sanctuary and casts light upon that bread because without the Holy Spirit of God that is a closed book to you and I. And then they go further and there's a golden altar. It's an altar not of sacrifice, at least not blood sacrifice, not animal sacrifice. It's a golden altar of incense where they bring their incense, which according to Revelation 5 is a picture of the prayers of the saints. It's a place of worship because we've already been atoned for. We've already been cleaned up. Now we come in here and we offer our intercessions and our petitions before God. And then you step inside of that veil, which is itself is a picture of the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10 and you come to the altar or the ark of testimony right and again it's made out of gold and wood picturing divinity and humanity the nature of our Lord it says the gold is in the wood and the wood is in the gold try to explain that and there inside of that wooden box which pictures our Savior is the law of God Because only the Lord Jesus Christ can hang can keep that law. You know you can't keep it. And there's a golden lid that goes on top of that. It's called the mercy seat. Those cherubims looking over at the place where the blood is applied once in a year on the day of atonement and where that blood is on that seat, those cherubims look down and they can't see the law which man had broken because they're looking at the blood that had been offered for their atonement. Amen. And that is the place where the presence of God tabernacles with His people. And I'll throw this in here because it's a blessing. God's in that most holy place. That Ark of the Testimony sits at at two and a half cubits high. And if you look out there to that brazen altar, it's five cubits high, five cubits wide square, five cubits square. And there's a network of brass halfway in on that altar of sacrifice, that brazen altar, which puts the sacrifice on precisely the same height as the presence of God that sits on the mercy seat in the holy place so that when God looks out at the offer and when the offer looks in at God, they have to look at through, rather, the sacrifice that was made on behalf of the offerer. All of it pictures and points to our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this age, God gets this done through the church. Jesus Christ promised when He was on this earth, I will build my church. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, Ye are God's building. The Bible says we are built up for an habitation of God through the Spirit, that ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. Every piece in that tabernacle points to our communion with God and as a part of the church, this is our great privilege that we have access, that we've been brought at one through the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to get this fixed in your mind. Now, in chapter 25 and verse 8, I've emphasized thus far the that I may dwell among them aspect. But I want you to notice in verse 8, before that it said, and let them make me a sanctuary. Do you see that? God uses His people to prepare a place where He can meet with man. Get that in your mind. I'm, I'm trying to point you to missions this morning, and I see a picture in this in this passage. The building project in the book of redemption in many ways mirrors the New Testament work of missions. Christ is building His church, but do you know what He's using to build His church? We're it. We're we're building with Him. God uses man. Now I know it's a marvel that God uses any of us to do anything. It was a marvel that He used any of them back there in the Old Testament. Do you know where Aaron was? I mean, they start building this thing in chapter 35. Do you know what happened in chapter 32? Where was Aaron, the high priest? He's the guy that handled the golden calf when it came out of the fire. I, I just can't imagine where Bezalel and the Holy Ab may have been during that whole process, but I'm telling you, God uses men. And when God calls us to Himself, all ye that labor and are heavy, come unto me, all ye that are late, that are, that let- labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He's but he went on to say, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Listen to me, church. Do you know what the yoke is? Sometimes sometimes we got the emphasis wrong. I realize we live in the twenty first century and there's some people have never even heard of a yoke. Like a, you know, like a cassette player. He didn't say lay upon my couch and learn of me. You learn of Christ as you labor with Christ. A yoke is for work. Here's the beautiful thing about a yoking up, about yoking up with Christ. He bears the burden, but we share in the labor. When he gave the great commission in Matthew 28, Part of the promise associated with that is, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Even when he sent the disciples out, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. That same passage that says that, we're, that we are the building of God says that we are laborers together with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then as workers together with him. There's a cooperative program to get this mission project done. God's building a building in which to manifest Himself and dwell with humanity. And you and I are supposed to go out and gather the materials and bring them and make them a part of this building so, could God, so that God can dwell with man. And it is a job that is just simply too big for one church. It's too big for a nation of slaves. The only way that it happens is when God gets in it because we know that without Jesus Christ we can do nothing. Our sufficiency is of God who also made us able ministers faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it so get the picture in your mind god's going to build the most intricate ornate expensive portable structure that's ever been erected and he's going to use a ragtag nation of former slaves in the middle of a builder of of a barren wilderness to get the job done that sounds like you and i trying to accomplish the great commission And God's got two things that He does right here. I want to call your attention to it. First thing He does is take an offering. Everybody okay? Somebody say amen right there. You believe the Bible? Chapter 25, verse 2, speaking to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. God's going to gather the raw materials that are listed in verses 3 through 7. And, and look at this list. Gold, silver, brass, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair. Can I remind you who this is addressed to? These people didn't own anything a few chapters earlier. They're a nation of slaves. They don't even own their own housing. They're tenement dwellers. They ain't got, they ain't got gold and silver. They wouldn't be in slavery if they had this stuff. Amen. And God, this is the people God's going to take the offering for, from. To get His building built. Let me, let me tell you something about this work of missions. Even the financial side of it. It's going to take God getting involved to be faithful. You're not going to do this by yourself. We're not just going to muster this thing. We're not just going to figure this thing out. There's not, there's not just some kind, of, some kind of code we can crack to get the job done. We need God. Let me tell you something. God does math differently than you and I do math. Amen. I believe God can get involved in this and do things that are supernatural with your money in relation to missions. Amen. He gave manna from heaven. That's how He fed them. He gave water from a rock. Why not not an offering from a bunch of slaves? Amen. He's God. It only works when he gets involved. Let me show you something. Look at chapter 35. <coughs> look at chapter 35. I want to show you something. Look at, look at verse 5. I just want to draw your attention to this terminology. Verse 5. Take you from among, from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord. And then it lists the nature of the offering. Look at verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought, look at this terminology, the Lord's offering. Verse 24. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought, look at the terminology, the Lord's offering. Where does a bunch of slaves get gold and silver and brass and purple and, bl- and, and linen, etc.? I'll tell you where they get it. God gives it to them. And you know how God gave it to them? He spoiled the Egyptians to give it to them. It's the Lord's offering. Now this, this, this is where the rub is. Because, because our thinking is our thinking is sometimes wrong about what we have. Where did you get what you got? Well, if you got a biblical view of who you are and what you have, you know the only reason you have anything is because God gave it to you. That's why when you come to the church house, you can call it a tithe or whatever you want. But it was God's when it got started, and it's God's when you gave it. It's the Lord's offering. He just lets you give it. Amen. How exactly do you think you got the wealth that you have? And don't kid yourself, man. Look around this place. You drove to church in a climate-controlled automobile. Amen. You will eat more over lunch than most families around the world throw away in a week. Amen. You're wealthy. You know where you got that from? Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 8. God gives you the power to get wealth. Amen. Hey, I don't do this. I don't do this to boast in ourselves. God forbid. But I do this the way Paul did it in the New Testament. I think it's biblical. If I could provoke you, by the giving of another, I come from one of the best missions-given churches in America. My home church, give. we've given, to date, we've given over half a million dollars, $600,000, dollars this year to foreign missions. We'll give $1.3 million before the year is out. We're on target to do it. If you look around our church, our church ain't no different than yours. It's a bunch of people, though, that learn to think differently about their money. Amen. Hallelujah. Because because Americans, and listen, it's okay. I believe in the concept of private property. I I believe the Bible represents certain conceptions of ownership. Like if I have something, then it's mine. You can't just come and take it whenever you want, which is biblically one of the problems with socialism. Thou shalt not steal. And that's fine when you're dealing with the horizontal. But when you look at your wealth in relation to the vertical, you need to recognize that everything that you have in this world was given to you by God. And it's not a matter of ownership. It's a matter of stewardship. Stewardship. God gave you everything that you have and he can call on it whenever he chooses. And I come from a church with a bunch of people that have decided. And by the way, you know what the you know what the qualification? We already read it twice. The singular qualification for participating in the offering in Exodus 35 is willingness, 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 willingness. Do you know why American Christians give to foreign missions? The same reason they go on vacations and own purple iPhones. Because they want to. Amen. You drive the car you drove this morning because you want to. You came to church today because you wanted to. Amen. If you wanted to give to missions, you could. And if you wanted to give more to missions, you will. Amen. It's not ownership. Your body doesn't even belong to you. Your body does not even belong to you. It was bought with a price. Therefore, everything that runs through your hands, belongs to the Lord Jesus by virtue of the purchase made by His precious blood. Amen. Now look, your preacher was honest with you this morning. Giving's going good. Faith promises in. All the missionaries are paid. A month in advance. Praise the Lord. If you're not careful you'll think like an American and sit back and say, well, there's plenty. I don't need to give any more. Do you know how much you've given? Do you know when to know that you've given enough? You ready for this? Moses in this project finally said, all right, that's enough. We don't need any more. When your preacher gets up in the pulpit and says, please, please don't give any more money. It'll be a cold, blizzardy day in northwest Florida. But that's how you know you've given enough. Amen. You can't outgive God. Amen. Look at what He's given to you. Amen. So God took an offering. The second thing that He did is God used workmen. Look at chapter 35. In verse 30, and Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And then it goes on to tell you what he does with the raw materials that the people brought. So everybody participates in the offering, but then the offering is taken and is committed to specially skilled workers who take the raw materials and turn them into something where God can dwell in. Now this sounds a whole lot like, to me, the work of missions. And this isn't an isolated scenario right here. We're looking at a pattern of support that runs throughout the whole Bible. The entire nation gives 10% of everything that they have and out of that 10% you have a Levitical tribe and a priestly family that are supported out of those tithes. David collects from the entire nation the materials for the temple and then commits that to the artisans that will actually put it together. Joash takes a collection in a box and he commits that to carpenters to make the repairs in the house of God there are saints in the New Testament that take their earthly goods and possessions and lay them down at the feet of the apostles and the apostles in turn take those funds and distribute them to men who are filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom who then distribute those those resources to those that need them most they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel you don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. This is, this is and by the way, I'm quoting the New Testament side of that. 1 Timothy 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Romans 15, Galatians 6. You're not a New Testament Bible believer if you don't believe giving the missions and the ministers to get the job done. Amen. And this is the thing I love about faith promise, by the way, and it's the thing that's emphasized at our church. It is not about the individual, it's not about the individual. You give through faith promised missions. They're not going to put your name up here for being the biggest giver at victory. Amen. They're not going to give you a plaque on a, on a, a, a I don't think. They're not going to put your name on a pew because you gave to missions. I don't know exactly how you do your faith promise around here. It's one of the highlights of my year for years and years to be able to be in Cornerstone Baptist Church at Carthage Tennessee or at Ridge Road Baptist Church in Bruton, Alabama and see everybody come down at the end of that faith promise missions meeting and as families to fill out that card of what by faith they're going to give for the next year and as families to leave it in the altar and then to announce that figure to the church and for everybody to shout the glory and you don't know the Difference between what the five-year-old gave every week and what the businessman gave every week, because it doesn't matter. God gets the glory. See this thing. This thing in New Testament terms is new. Te- it is local church based. Amen. Now let me. I, I, I believe God put this on my heart this morning. Let me preach there. Just, just a second. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I don't know. Her coming up to Moses and say, Moses, look. I got this. Uh, I got this fine linen and this purple and this scarlet, and I really want it to be used in the building of the house of the Lord. But I don't want a holy ab to mess with my linen and my purple, and my scarlet. I want to see if I can designate these raw materials just for Bezalel to handle. Because, you know, I I, I don't really, I just don't have a lot of confidence in Holiab, but I got a lot of confidence in Bezalel. And I know that may not go quite with the program of the building of the tabernacle, but if I could designate my special gifts for this special building project, I'd appreciate it. And if I can't, then I won't give it. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm gonna tell you. Now my my pastor's most he's just the most gracious man you've ever met. He's a good man. He's not people people hear him preach, they sometimes say he's a hard man or an austere man. He's not. That's not the kind of man he is. But I promise you, if you walked up to my pastor today and said, Brother, I've got a million dollars that I want to give to missionaries, and I wanna give it through cornerstone, but I want to tell you what missionaries that it's gonna go to, he'd say, you should find another pastor to give that to because that ain't how we do business here. I believe I've hit a nerve. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine one of those converts, you know, newly saved there in Jerusalem, taking the proceeds from the sale of his house and and just getting right to the apostles' feet and saying, all right, Peter, I'm going to leave this here, but... Do you think that you could give this to like Nicanor and Philip and not Stephen? Because I'm not just too, I'm not too sure about Stephen. I really want to give this, but I want to make sure who handles my offering when I give it. I'm going to tell you one thing. After Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in church, nobody designated their gifts anymore. I'm trying to help. I really am. I'm just trying to help. It's local church based. Amen. Dear Paul, we are so thankful to give this sweet smelling savor to the Lord through you. Just make sure you only use it at Corinth and not at Athens. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. When you got somebody that comes along and says... I am, I, I've got a giving heart, and I will give. I'll be one of your best givers, but I'm going to decide where it goes. Watch out. That man will cause you problems. because he does not understand the nature of this work. It's local church. Here's the point. Everyone has their part. Everybody can give. God has given special ability, wisdom, the fullness of His Spirit to certain men to take those raw materials and turn them into what will be the place where God dwells with man. I've got a message I've preached quite a bit on deputation. We'll preach it some more about certain misconceptions about missions. And I won't re-preach the message right now, but I'm telling you, I think that most people have the mentality that someone should go. Maybe someone will go. And there's just not much I can do about the Great Commission and that's a misconception. Your responsibility in view of the Great Commission is to go or to send and probably some combination thereof. You may not need to go to Africa. You might need to go next door. You might need to go to the cubicle down the hall. You might need to talk to that student in another class You might need to deal with that family member that you've been avoiding. You might need to go where you live. But you most assuredly can help to send somebody to the places that you can never go. There is something for all of us to do. Now turn to Exodus chapter 40 and I'll bring this to a close. Exodus chapter 40. This is my favorite part of the message and I'll conclude. (coughs) Exodus 40 takes place one year after the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. A lot has transpired, but among those things is that they have taken an offering, and it has been sufficient to accomplish the task at hand. All of the materials have been collected. All of the furniture and the structures have been assembled And now is the time to actually erect this magnificent tabernacle that God has prepared. And in Exodus chapter 40, we have this record. And the interesting thing about Exodus chapter 40 is that at the center of Exodus chapter 40 is one character. And it's not a holy app. And it's not Bezalel. And it's not Aaron. And it's not the guy that gave the linen or the guy that gave the gold. It's just Moses. Look, and, look, allow me to show this to you. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto who? To Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou. Now, in your King James Bible, that T-H is Singular. If it had said you, then we would understand it in the plural sense, but it's the T-H singular, so he's talking singularly to Moses. Thou set up the tabernacle of the tent. Verse 3, and thou shalt put there in the ark of the testimony. Verse 4, and thou. Verse 5, and thou. Verse 6, and thou. Verse 7, and thou. Verse 8, and thou. Verse 9, and thou. Verse 10, and thou. Verse 11, and thou. Verse 12, and thou. Verse 13, and thou. Verse 14, and thou. Verse 15, and thou. Verse 16, Thus did... Moses, everybody see it? Verse eighteen. I can sing this whole chapter like this. And Moses reared up the tabernacle. Verse nineteen. Into the verse, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he took verse twenty. And he brought verse twenty-one. Into verse twenty-one, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse twenty-two. And he put verse twenty-three. And he set as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse twenty-five. And he lighted verse twenty-five as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse twenty-seven. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse twenty-eight. And he. Said, up verse 29 and he put verse 30 and he said verse 33 or verse 32 as the Lord commanded Moses verse 33 and he reared up verse 33 so Moses finished the work everybody follow along with me Now let's go back in Israel's history. Let's think upon the Exodus. Let's let's reimagine that redemptive work that is the story of the first 19 chapters and then beyond the intercessory work of Moses. Do you realize that if it had not been for Moses, the nation of Israel would have never come out of Egyptian bondage? If it had not been for Moses, the children of Israel would never have walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. If it had not been for Moses, they would never, doing his mediating work, they never would have received the word of the Lord. If it had not been for Moses, they would not have defeated the Amalekites. If it had not been for Moses, they would not have drank from the rock. If it had not been for Moses, they would have been destroyed after the golden calf incident. And you get to the end of the book and it's like, like all the givers fade from view and all the workmen fade from view and there's one left standing in this great construction process and it is Moses the man who brought redemption to God's people very coming a day where we're going to get on the other side of the Great Commission. The work is going to be done and the givers will fade from view and the workmen will step aside and it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ who gets all the glory in that day. Because after all, he did the work. After all, he finished the work. You think it was worth it? Friend, I, I, there, there is no conscience in me whatsoever to come down here and try to get you give more money to missionaries. That does not trouble me and my spirit in the least. If you get to the judgment seat of Christ and to the Lord on Lee Cadenhead trying to get more money out of you for missions, I say, help yourself. Man, because someday we're going to see the one who finished the work and let us participate. And it will be worth it all. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven.